Wow, that's that's a big, big question. <laughs> wow. God, I don't even know where to start on that. Well- For another week of the Working Fans Podcast, this is AJ. I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer, Joe, may likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter. That's at Fans Working. Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have that's workingfanswrestlingpod at gmail.com we're on instagram where you can keep up with us at workingfanswrestling underscore pod and then you can now listen to us on all major platforms including anchor.fm we're on google podcasts spotify breaker overcast Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out, and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. Yo, this is number one, Sean Silver. I'm talking about the meat man. I'm talking about that big boy, and of course, you know I'm talking about the raw dog, and you're listening Guys, we did something very big for episode 10. You know me, with holidays, I like to drop a special episode. Well, to me, I felt episode 10 was a milestone. And I got a major guest. I got Roy Lusher. This was such a good talk. And AJ, Dave, and I had such a good discussion beforehand that this is going to come out as a Tuesday episode. So our 10th episode, it's going to be the discussion you've come to love it's a major talk with Roy Lusher, and then a five-three-one, a very good one if I don't say so myself. And then Thursday, we're gonna do two big interviews in one episode for you, as well as the usual five-three-one. So thank you and enjoy. Welcome back to the Working Fans Podcast. And we got to be honest right off the bat: me and Dave haven't been able to watch as much because. The podcast has been getting bigger for us, and between producing things and the interviews we've been lining up, I haven't had as much time to watch anything. Dave, why don't you let the listeners know why you haven't been able to watch as much this week? So people don't know, I've mentioned a few episodes, I have a bread business, and my truck was down this week, so delivering bread is very hard when you're delivering in a very tiny car, so that makes for long days. So... Combining all that. What kind of bread do you? What kind of bread do you deliver? Hey, AJ, motherfucker, you're gonna get your turn. You want to hold up? I'm trying to talk to the people. Tell them about that Mar- Martin's butter bread and that fucking cinnamon raisin. Yeah, shit. we give some cinnamon raisins. We got the good shit, potato bread. Get on it. If you're in the Connecticut area, especially Woodham, Brooklyn, fucking get on it. I need sales, I'm bitches. Trying, Where's Brooklyn at? Yeah, I'm Brooklyn. Trying to get you. A, I was trying to get you a plug in there. All right, Martin's <laughs> potato bread. Wyndham, Brooklyn, Putnam, Connecticut. Big fucking things happen. Eat it. (laughs) All right, but AJ, you're actually the one that's got the list this week, so what did you see that caught your eye? All right, so I think the biggest thing this week is is the news out of MLW that they might not be able to re-sign Tom Waller. Uh, I think that's a huge loss. I don't know if you guys have seen this or not. 
He actually came out in the middle of the week, both him and MLW had tweets out and had news breaking all week long about not being able to reach a, a contract extension and that at the within the next couple of weeks, he's going to be the biggest free agent in wrestling, in my opinion. This is a catastrophic loss. I mean, obviously, it's not going to end the company, but to me, this is a big loss losing Delphi Top Lawler. All right, so a couple things on that, because I actually did get to watch some MLW this morning. That's one of the shows I can actually talk about with you. Interesting to know, and I, and I know you, so I'm guessing you didn't see the latest Fusion episode, because you would have... I you, actually did see the Fusion. That's going to be part two of what I was going to say, but go ahead. Okay, okay, okay. This might be a work. <laughs> Cause, well, that's what I was going to say, is if you thought that it was a work, because he went over Davey Boy He Smith went over Davey Boy Smith. And they also used and the eye. about the contract. Yes. Yeah. And they also used the eye poke. And, you know, and he went over Timothy Thatcher on the pay-per-view, too. This is not how it's done. Now, don't get me wrong. This could be court going in a different direction. And Tom will still lose a match on the way out. Or there'll be something big here. But it's definitely very interesting. He has been the cornerstone of the promotion since they've rebooted, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the CM Punk storyline a few years ago where his contract was legitimately going out. And I think that they might be playing off something similar to that and then to make and then to make the big signing at the last moment when he's got him under pressure. He's one of two free agents that contracts are running up or have run out very quickly. The other one of course being Marty Scroll from Ring of Honor. You know, one more thing on MLW real quick, too, is they did sign King Mo recently. And one thing about this I was kind of curious about is Brandon. It seems to me like MLW is kind of becoming the place for like people that are legit backgrounds. Like They got Dominic in there with the D- Brazilian jiu-jitsu background. His partner, uh, Douglas... Douglas James, Douglas out of James. the Pacific Northwest. Right, has a kickboxing background. And we got King Mo with an MMA background. Tom with a background. Loki, who's known as legit. Fatu, they just re-signed as well. They just re-signed Fatu, right, exactly. Kind of like, you would want Filthy Tom. You want a guy with that shoot background, I would think. It, that's how it seems to me. Like MLW is like we talk about it sometimes where it's like, this is bullshit, this is bullshit, but that match is real. It's almost like they're trying to be like, yeah, that organization's bullshit, that organization's bullshit, but here at MLW, it's fucking real. See, in MLW, that's the best place that I've seen Dominic Garini marketed because he was all right on Bloodsport, but when they had him in Evolve, there was never anything about him really that stuck out to me. Not at all. MLW has become my go-to show on the weekend. It's the one that I probably enjoy the most because, you know, as you know, I have that style where I enjoy the more I feel like it's wrestling and the less I feel like it's a show. It's the reason why every week Raw has become my go-to show to make me question whether or not I really want to be a wrestling fan anymore. <laughs> it's amazing to me the difference of what MLW does right now and Tom Waller, we've talked about this week after week. He's that guy who they really don't want to lose because he's that guy who could go to any promotion and be legit. He could go to NXT, he could go to AEW, and quite frankly, I think that he would fit in uh, Matt Riddle versus Tom Waller on NXT next week would sell the place out. Um, no, other thing too I want to say, uh, you talked about uh, Marty there. We didn't really talk on that, but I got to think, I saw the same thing you did. His contract ends in November. November what, motherfucker? Because this guy's going to pop up at AEW, I think. This is like probably 
This is the one thing I think we all feel pretty confident is we're waiting for Marty to show up on Dynamite. Maybe he'll shock us all and show up on NXT, but I, I doubt it. Well, here's the thing about AEW right now. To, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I see a pattern, and I think, I don't know if they're doing it to prove something or what their point is behind it, but almost every week the Elite is just getting their ass whooped. Throughout the, throughout the show, they're getting beat up by LAX. They're getting beat up by the circle themselves. They're getting beat up by the guy tossing popcorn in the audience. Everybody is beating up the elite right now. How long is it before they get the save made by Marty Scroll? Right. what I keep wondering every week. I don't know if it's something that they're setting up or something that they're not setting up, but I think it's fantastic. And now that we've switched over to AEW from this with this transaction, I think AEW has done something interesting. By having Scorpio Sky pin Jericho in the tag match, are we setting up Scorpio Sky for a possible world title match? Yes. That's the same thing I thought. I don't think he'll get the belt, but I think he's going to take Jericho to the limit, and they're really putting an emphasis on Scorpio Sky. Every week, too, they talk about, I hear Tony Schiavone saying, this guy might be the greatest athlete right now in AEW. And I think what helps us out in that situation is the Freebird rules in which the um, SCU plays by, which leaves it so that Daniels and Kazarian can actually defend the belts at any time. Have they and actually said that, guy, though, with the belts? AEW hasn't talked about that yet. They haven't talked about it, but I have a feeling that's going to be in play because they talked about from the beginning that any two of the tag teams, even in the tournament, if you remember during the tournament, they said that you could see any combination of the three, which is why Scorpio Sky was able to wrestle. Uh -huh when Daniels got attacked. I think that was why they played the injury angle, though, because that, they had to let him know which one was going to go first. I think AEW might be trying to get away from that because they're trying to be legit. Uh, you might be right on that, but I have a feeling that that's going to sneak its way in if Scorpio's guy is going for the belt because they'll be like, well, 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 you know, we can have all three. Cause, but I could be wrong. That's, it wouldn't be the first time I'm wrong. Next on my list is NXT. I mean, obviously, now we've talked about AEW and we've talked about the show that was there and we talked about Scorpio Sky moving up. How tough is Mia Yim? Not only does she get, she gets her nose broken and hurts her back and ribs in the closing match of NXT live on Wednesday night and what has to be one of the best ladder matches that I've seen, period, not just women's matches. And then who is the first person wrestling in the women's match on Friday at SmackDown? Mia Yim is the first one in the match. People, most people would take a couple days off, rest, do something to try to heal up. Nah, tape up that back, tape up my nose. I'm in that match Friday night, and I'm ready to rock and roll. That is actually one of the few things we did watch, because when we were waiting around the other day for one of the interviews we were doing, you had suggested the ladder match, so we took some time out to watch it, and it was very brutal. That's not very often you see blood come out of somebody's face like that, and then that bump she took from the top of the ladder through the one on the side of the ring was just insane. Also, very well booked. Oh, that match was incredibly booked. That it, it was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. The way they got all the different people actually in there, bringing down Kylie Ray. Yeah. Because let's face it, it looked like they did a great job of making it look like Mia Yim's been saved. They've got it in the bag, and all of a sudden Kylie Ray out of nowhere, and I don't think anybody even knew she was in the building. I mean, from NXT in the uh, UK. Because we still don't know like what's going on with Dakota. It looks like she's gonna help out still, but we don't know that. Then you're right, Kylie comes down, and then you think the show's over, and Basil gets laid out by Bailey. Yeah, exactly. So uh. there, there's no actual complete, and they did a great job on SmackDown. Here they come to attack again, 
and SmackDown was ready for him this time. So absolutely great booking when it comes to the women. And once again, that ladder shot to the face, you can literally see where the ring comes up and actually catches her right above the nose, shattering that area. And absolutely incredible that she was able to wrestle that night and the next day. I mean, I can't, I, I couldn't imagine. Now, I might have missed it. I saw Riddle is wrestling Bauer now at the next TakeOver. So Yeah, he's off the team. So who's on the team right now for Team Ciampa? Right now for Ciampa, you've got Keith Lee, Dijak, and Ciampa. All right, Dijak. Like the guy now. So they've got to come up with another guy before the actual pay-per-view. Right. Now, the announcers screwed that up. If you're watching the show... The announcer said, the team is complete now. We've got Dijak. Right. Moments before, they had said that they had Matt Riddle versus Finn Balor now. They, they they screwed that up. And then toward the end of it, they corrected themselves and, said, and had the uh, picture go up where they showed, oh, God, oh no, they're down a guy now. NXT all, all around, what did you think of the show this week? From what I saw, really well booked. I liked that Damian Priest came out and uh, laid out Pete Dunne and Killian. So to me, it's like they're keeping Damien, they're keeping all those guys strong. And I'll be interested to see how that evolves. Like NXT is doing a real good job. It's funny, I was telling someone who was telling me how great AEW has been. And I was like, man, don't sleep on NXT. Because AEW to me has really shined too, but it's almost different. It's like AEW to me is really shining on promos and characters. But bell to bell, not that AEW isn't doing great too, NXT's just been a little bit better with the matches. And NXT's also been a little bit better with how they, well, actually, I would say more than a little, not a lot, but definitely better with the booking of the women, although they've had a head start on that. NXT did a great job of hitting the curveball over the last couple weeks. They were originally, I believe, I've got to believe originally they were planning on Obviously, Finn Balor versus Johnny Gargano, the way he attacked him. And then they found out that Johnny Gargano has uh, damage to his neck and uh, cervical area in there. So they've had to back away from that and give him time to rest. And in doing so, they had to come up with a plan for um, Finn Balor. They've done a great job in booking Finn Balor because they have made Finn Balor be the bad guy without actually being a complete chicken shit heel. A chicken shit heel when Matt Riddle hit the ring and attacked him last week would have found a way to back away and just completely run away. But he actually had spurts in there where he came back and fought right at Matt Riddle. So he's not being a complete chicken shit heel. He's being more of the tough guy who picks his spots kind of heel. So I think they've done a great job with booking that. And they did a good job of taking Matt Riddle out of that match and putting him into um, Gargano's spot because that's going to actually be a uh, show stealer. The only other thing that I got for this week is, like I mentioned earlier, it sounds like we take shots at Raw and stuff like that a lot, but it's not taking a shot at Raw. We want Raw to be good. When I tune into Raw and I see the talent that is on Raw, when and the only angle that they booked good this week on Raw, in my opinion, was actually the Randy Orton ricochet stuff. I love the fact that they're um, playing off the psychology of Randy Orton and that he can't hit it anywhere. And, oh my God, why is he not hitting it here yet? So I enjoy that psychological stuff. But when you've got the level of talent that they have on there and they can't put a quality show together because they're too busy worried about who's sleeping with whose wife, it's just absolutely mind-boggling to me how little they think of wrestling fans and how little they think that we actually care about the product and the rest. When I shit on Raw, I don't want people to think that it's because I'm just trying to be negative or let's throw stuff at Raw because it's a cool thing to do. That's not it. We as wrestling fans want Raw to be good. It's our flagship, it's what we grew up on, it's what we've seen our whole life. We just want it to be quality. So 
I don't know what you guys think on that. Well, between both Raw and SmackDown, it's I sit down to watch it, and then they start off on an awful promo. And there's so much wrestling out there now that I figured there's something I could watch right now that I would like better. So I tend not to watch it, and then maybe I catch up with it, maybe I don't. I'll say this too, uh, actually on the WWE show Backstage, which we weren't even going to mention, but um, where Punk came back, obviously, at the end. But if uh, anyone watched that show, it's kind of funny because the panel on there actually uh, blasted this angle too. With the exception of Renee Young, uh, Booker T. Who else was on that? I know you watched it. Uh, Kristen was here this week? Uh, Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe, that's right. Adam Cole. Yeah, nobody was a fan of this. And they they were were outspoken about it. Mick Foley as well. And the only person who was a fan of it was Renee Young, who was the one person on that panel who I would think would be a fan of it. And she was open about that. Yeah, and is Renee Young your target audience when it comes to wrestling? Right. If no. I'm putting on a wrestling promotion, am I sitting there going, God, I really hope we draw in Ray, Renee Young? Right. <laughs> right. Um, here's my other thing. Yeah, and here's the other thing. I know we weren't going to talk about it, but obviously CM Punk coming back is always a big thing. There's going to be speculation now about him wrestling, no matter what he does and what direction he goes in. Does this open up actually more of a problem for the WWE? Because it's going to draw for Fox for the show. But is it going to open up even more CM Punk chance? Is it going to open up even more? When's he coming back? When's he coming back? With him having no intention of coming back. Well, here's the thing, too. What's it really going to mean for their ratings in the long term? They'll pop a rating for that show this week. But when fans see he's not coming back, how many people are going to, more people are going to be tuning into this show? Because, you know, that's not what they want. Exactly. As much as I enjoy hearing his promos and hearing him talk, at the end of the day, if he's not actually wrestling somebody, how long is that going to last? Very true. Now, I don't know if you have anything else on your list, but we're pretty much wrapped up for the week. I mean, I sadly only got to watch that little bit of NXT. I'm hoping to watch MLW today. No, I'm solid. Um, I think we've had pinched enough. It's been a nice um, therapy session again for us wrestling fans. I think it's wonderful to have this platform that we have now, and hopefully the fans will get involved in it. Guys, if you're out there and you're listening to this, we want you involved. We want to hear from you. Reach out on Twitter. Reach out on Facebook. Right. And Jimmy Evans, man, we're out there. We're listening, baby. I hope you listen to the show. You tweet us every day. Whether it's, you know, you want to get a hold of us through social media, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Pornhub, whatever you want, baby, we're here. Okay, first of all, you will not find us on the second one. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to ask if you guys opened an account I wasn't aware of. (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy Evans is listening either way. We don't need to get him every which way. Jimmy, if you're listening to this, I want you to hashtag... Day one when this comes out. I want to know if you're actually listening. (laughs) That's the Easter egg. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) There you go. But guys, until next time, thank you very much for your time. Alright, thank you very much. Talk to you later. This is Roy Lusher, and you're listening to the Working Fans Podcast. Welcome back to the Working Fans Podcast. And this week, we have a very special guest. This man is the epitome of a working fan. I would argue that he's up there with Scott Teal, Mark James, and Jim Cornette when it comes to helping preserve wrestling history. He is the proprietor of RoysWrestlingVault.com. He's a former guest on the 605 Super Podcast. You've heard him on Keeping It 100 being introduced as Roy Lucifer. 
He is Roy Lucier. Roy, how are you doing today? And thank you for joining us. <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe you remember that. Yeah, I, I rip Conan about that every time I see him too. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that intro. <laughs> that, that, that's amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. Now, I'm very familiar with you. Dave is a little less so. For anyone else that's unfamiliar with you, can you give a little background about yourself? Alright, basically I've been watching wrestling since 81. You know, as a kid I uh, went to shows in my area. I grew up near Anaheim. Actually, I was born in Garden Grove, so I went to a lot of wrestling shows in the Anaheim and L.A. area growing up. When I was 17 years old, I got introduced to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter and I started learning more about other shows in the area and other TV shows in the area. So I used to, uh, my parents had a big satellite dish, so I would tape the Lucha Libre shows that were on the dish from all the different promotions and I, I'd start tape trading so that's how I amassed a huge tape trading collection. I also learned where some Japanese stores were in my area that rented the weekly TV shows. So it's around 1992 so just watched all that. I ended up going to a lot of the AAA shows that were in the area at the LA Sports Arena. The big ones like When Worlds Collide, I was front row for that, but not just when worlds collide all the littler shows they did that they ran i went to pretty much all those unless i got kicked out of the show uh, long story there but it's just I've, I've been a fan for so long in fact you know even last night i went to a show in san francisco with la park and flamita and puma king on the show and you know this is just my my passions you know Roy, that's awesome I, i'm kind of curious because you know remember kind of wrestling the same way but i wasn't as exposed as much to the different stuff as you were but i'm kind of curious being exposed to that much wrestling at that time like who were some of the people that drew you in like characters matches oh super delphine and mishinoku pro jumps out immediately he was just like so charismatic loved his mask i thought he was just like a, a, a step above you know everybody else uh, mishinoku pro i mean if no one out there has heard of it basically it was a lucha libre type company that ran in japan where they had you know mass wrestlers and they pretty much did it under lucha rules you know through a great sasuke takamishinoku the wwe announcer funaki started uh, that was a huge promotion that i was really into obviously all japan new japan all japan women you know the, the lucha promotions in mexico triple a cmll uwa this first characters i mean arena stereo junior oh geez i remember when he started back in santa Ana in 1990 he was using the name el calibri the hummingbird you know he was like five foot three 120 pounds wrestling but you can always tell there's something special about him but back then there was that mental stigma that oh he's just too small and you know he's never going to get anywhere and lo and behold AAA and ECW believed in him and enough to you know kind of get him out there and then WCW took the risk and brought him in and you know the rest is history those are those are the two that jumped out immediately that really attracted you know the hooked me in and stuff oh geez there's so 
so many like big name Lucha characters over the years that I could think of. You know, Silver King, Pagano. UWA used to bring in like random foreigners like Bam Bam Bigelow, Bad News Brown, Andre the Giant. That you know, you would turn it on. It was like you see these Lucha guys in the ring with the Americans that you know have name value to us that we're used to. It was just, it was, it was a cool time to be a fan. Now you were speaking of the tape trading community back then. More recently, I've interacted with you and both Justin Desind of WrestleTopia in the current tape trading market. Since you've been tape trading so long, what are the similarities and what are the differences over the years? Everything is a lot easier accessible nowadays. With YouTube and Daily Motion, and I'm sure there's other ones that are out there similar to it that are out there. It's a completely different market. I remember you would order a tape or trade a tape with somebody, you know, wait a few days and get it, and you get some fourth generation skippity video that, you know, you, you deal with the skips just to watch, the, you know, the great stuff, and, and you'd be happy with it. Like, I remember when I heard about the Ricky Choshu shoot kick incident with Akira Maeda, and I got it, that tape must have been seventh, seventh generation jumping around and stuff like that, but I was like, you know, a, a little kid at Christmas time when I got to see it, you know, that it just, um, it just a lot, really, it, it's a lot better nowadays to be a fan as far as the accessibility to seeing all the great wrestling. As long as you're able to uh, have a venue for it, like I really noticed like AAA doesn't put out any of their old TV shows professionally. Like they, on their Twitch channel, everything starts from like 2002, 2003, and then they just randomly put stuff up with no order. Well, what about the fans that want to see stuff from the 90s or, you know, like an order? Like I just, I wish they had some kind of paid deal like uh, WWE had with their network where you could actually choose the week that you want to watch or the matches that you want to watch instead of them just throwing random matches up on their 24-hour channel. So that's why I try my best. I have several YouTube channels out there for, for the listeners to check out. Now, because of copyright issues, what I do is I spread out the videos depending on the promotion or where it's from. So I got a lot of YouTube channels like Roy Lusher CMLL, Roy Lusher AAA, Roy Lusher Japanese Classics, Roy Lusher Wrestling Independence, uh, Roy Lusher CMLL, and so on and so forth. So that way I can throw up a bunch of videos on there and let's say, lo and behold, something gets copyright and the channel gets taken down. Well, there's still another 12 channels that are up there to get around every video get taken down. So that's, you know, something I've tried to do for, and I, I upload a plug on those every single day to try to put something up for the fans to watch. And that was something I was just showing Dave about, because when I was giving him the rundown of you, I had to show him the YouTube channels and be like, this guy, I don't know how he finds hours in the day to work a job mm. and then to post all this historical footage and great footage too. Like, if you're not checking out Roy Lusher's YouTube channels, you're not doing life right at the moment. 
Roy, I'm guessing you don't sleep a lot, too. <laughs> I work a little sleep. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. <laughs> now, Roy, we're from the New England area, and we're lucky to be, like, in the hotbed of WWE. We've got great independent promotions like NEW and Beyond Wrestling around us. What's the indie scene like around you, and what promotions do you frequent? The biggest promotion that I frequent is Pro Wrestling Revolution out here. It's run by Gabriel Ramirez. He's been in business for, I'd say, about 11 years now. I remember they had their 10-year anniversary a year ago, so I want to say 11. I am such a huge fan of Lucha Libre that I am very partial toward the Lucha scene. Gabe does his best to bring in Lucha guys from all around the world. Not only that, but earlier this year, he was the only one of record to date that has brought in Jun Akiyama to work in the United States. He brought him into San Francisco uh, March earlier this year for a show, for his U.S. debut. So I'm very partial toward Gabe, and if anyone, I would you know give him the first shout out also all pro wrestling they used to be run by roland alexander many of you recognize the name from the beyond the mat documentary they still run in daily city a few times a year it's now run by marcus jacobson marcus mack they got an amazing promotion there i always they run the king of indie tournaments every july Supreme Pro Wrestling is here in Sacramento. There's a few other ones as well. Total Wrestling Federation, and I think that's it. Virgil Flynn shut down earlier this year. But, you know, we got a, we got a small scene out here. Usually for any kind of, like, really good shows, you know, you got to drive that, you know, hour and a half, two hours to get there. But, it, you know, it's definitely well worth it after the show is over. I went to a show last night, and the main event was... L.A. Park, you know, the original La Parca against J.R. Kratos from the Border Patrol. That was just a wild brawl all over the building. I posted a video of it up on my Twitter and my Facebook for anyone to watch, but that was just 25 minutes of all over the place brawling. That was just amazing, and surprisingly, L.A. Park lost the match. Wow. That's amazing, because J.R. Kratos, I've only been familiar with him from the APW scene, but he did pop up on, I believe, the last couple blood sports. Yes, he, he beat Simon Gotch on, or what was his new name, Simon Grimm? Yeah, they uh, kind of go between the two, it seems. Yeah, he fought Simon Grimm on the blood sport in April. I remember it was like the second match on the show. Being Crater actually lives in the same area I do out here in Sacramento, so it was like, you know, kind of huge to watch that. And I remember he did this like jumping fist down on him and, you know, ended up getting the win. That was Kratos is a big guy that I'm really shocked has not got that big, you know, because he's in the same camp as Jeff Cobb. I, I'm really kind of surprised, not just Jeff Cobb, but Tim Thatcher as well. I'm surprised he hasn't gotten his big break yet, especially with. Uh, so many big promotions that are signing talent and, you know, the scene getting, you know, kind of smaller and smaller. Yeah, I mean, you kind of got into the next question right away, but who are some of the next big names coming out of that area that the average fan might not be familiar with? Colt Stevens, the other Border Patrol guy, I mean, he's, he's a Davey Richards, Eddie Edwards type guy that I'm, I'm pretty high on. Obviously, J.R. Kratos. Yeah, Jacob Fatu got signed by MLW, so that that took care of that one. That's major uh, right there. Yeah. yeah, I'm really happy for him. That that was huge. Jacob's got a younger brother, Journey Fatu. He's been wrestling for about three years now. Once he hits his stride, I do expect really big things from him. I think right now that pro wrestling takes a 
uh, backseat to a, a, a real life job, so that's why he doesn't get in as much time to wrestle as he could. But from what he has done, he does look really good. Levi Shapiro, he does kind of an older like like an old school gimmick, kind of similar to like what Steve Carino did back in ECW back in the day. He's managed. By, I'm trying to think of the guy. He's got the wrestling with regret. Brian Zane, I believe. Brian Zane, yes, he's managed by Brian Zane. He's, he's the, I definitely see big things from him. Hopefully, you know, getting his big break at some point, especially with with his gimmick, you know, the throwback and stuff like that. So he's another one I definitely hopefully see big things from. Nice, yeah. He's almost got like that Arn Anderson jacket going on, right? The red jacket. <laughs> yep, that's him. Yeah. Who does he team with? Because I bought a couple APW shows about. About a year ago or so whenever Cody was making the loop and I remember Levi Shapiro Brian Zane and then I feel like there was another guy in the team Buddy Royal yes that's it Buddy Royal ended up like they split up Buddy Royal ended up going to the New Japan dojo and I actually he ended up leaving the dojo so he wasn't with them anymore. I'm not sure what happened. Someone told me about it last night. Something real life kind of took over. So he ended up leaving the dojo. But he did come back at the APW show on Sunday. So yeah, I'm not sure where that's going right now or if it's just something on the side or if this is going to be a full-time thing or not. But no, Buddy Royal was a great talent as well. Wow. Now you talked earlier about kind of how your approach to posting on YouTube and you've had headaches both posting on YouTube and Facebook. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of posting to either and any tips you'd have for people that plan on posting on either? Yeah, don't post on Facebook. <laughs> I'm, 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 <laughs> don't post on Facebook. I'll tell you this right now. I had my Facebook account that I created in 2009. I thought, oh, it's cool. Let me post directly on Facebook. And lo and behold, one day Sony came down on me on an upload. I think I uploaded some, that old Japanese TV show, the World Pro Wrestling or Weekly Pro Wrestling. They were doing a thing about the Von Erics against Gino and Chris in the match <laughs> from Texas Stadium. The match where like the car was on the line or something like that yeah well the problem was that whatever song the von erics came to the ring to sony owned the rights to it and i ended up getting some kind of like major copyright struck from uh facebook <laughs> and they ended up like suspending my account over it so youtube will work with you as far as if you upload something onto YouTube, because YouTube now has the option to where it can detect the music if it's copyrighted and um, remove it for you. Facebook doesn't have that option. So if it's owned music, they'll strike you over it. Just stay away from Facebook unless it, the, the video that you upload doesn't have any type of ring music whatsoever or background music or something. Cause I've talked to promoters that have tried uploading a stream in a show and they'll get a notice because one of their guys is coming to the ring to, you know, real music that, hey, we can't play this or something. And if you go with it, we're going to remove your channel. So I <laughs> don't do it. All right. I got a question for you. I'm kind of curious. I mean, we're talking about music, but music being so big in wrestling, is there a particular wrestler or wrestlers whose theme music you really loved or loved in the past? Wow. Wow. That's, that's a big, big question. <laughs> wow. God, I don't even know where to start on that. Well, I mean, for me personally, like the Von Erics to like, you know, Kevin and, you know, Stranglehold, like those were always some of my favorites. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Jeez, like... 
like the, the, the team of the Guapos in Mexico, uh, Bestia Salvaje, Emilio Perlas, and Shocker and Scorpio Jr., they used to come out to like the Backstreet Boys music, <laughs> Backstreet Back All Night, you know, just random songs like that where it's like, you know, it's the, the song sticks with you and you hear yeah. it on the radio and it's the first thing that you, you um, think of is, oh my God, I remember when wrestlers used to come to the ring, like, what's that song from the Alan Parsons project that Ricky Steamboat used to come to the ring to that you hear at the Chicago Bulls games nowadays? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. That one got me big, man. I, I'm trying to think of the name of it, but yeah. I'm glad you remember that Ricky Steamboat used to come out to that. I try to tell people about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ricky Steamboat, that, that was a big one. I mean, even like nowadays, if I'm, you know, flicking the channels and there's a basketball game, I know it's pretty much the Chicago Bulls one, but you see other teams are mm -hmm. using it or other sports, and it's like, wow, I remember when Ricky Steamboat yeah. used to come to the ring to that you know it's like that was my wrestlemania three moment right there actually it was that song when he won and it's all edited out now but you know yeah everything is edited out you know it's it's, it, it's made ecw on the network unwatchable mm. <laughs> you know i could deal with smoky mountain or a few of the other promotions or mid-south because the music wasn't so entailed in it Right. But with ECW, oh geez, forget it. You know, like you know, they that that was like you had Mikey Whipwreck with Loser. You had you know, e even to this date, if I'm flicking through my Amazon Prime Music thing and Enter Sandman comes on, I get goosebumps and I could just picture this guy banging a cane against his head while the whole crowd chants ECW. Yeah. You know, that moment stuck in my head forever. I told Dave, if anybody's gonna remember anything old, it's gonna be Roy. You're big into wrestling history, and why is preserving wrestling history so important to you? Can I talk about the Cauliflower Alley? Yes, that, I was actually gonna ask you about that coming up, but let's roll it into one. Okay. So earlier this year, I got a phone call from Brian Blair, B. Brian Blair, who's the president of Cauliflower Alley. Many of you remember him from his days as the tag team as the Killer Bees. They needed somebody to run all the social media for the Cauliflower Alley Club. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do this in a heartbeat. You know, R running all those Facebook groups and dealing with 12 year old kids who <laughs> had to keep booting because they swore they know more than the rest of us for year on year out before I just got tired and left all those groups that's why I, um, brian called me up and he's like hey can you you know take care of our social media I'm like oh yeah i'd be, it'd be more more than happy to now well, the cauliflower alley is a 501c organization so they're non-profit what they do is that they raise money for the boys let's say for example paul orndorff his home is about to get taken away he gives us a call he proves shows proof that hey i'm struggling i'm going through a, a hardship right now i need your guys help cauliflower alley will step up and help him out with his hardships so that he doesn't have to worry about that mm -hmm. we did that with him we did that with with kamala not only kamala never again has to pay taxes on his home that's taken care of for the rest of his life because he's at a certain age there's a lot of wrestlers rico constantino from chuck and billy we helped him out a couple of years ago when he was going through some medical issues and there's a lot of other ones that you know HIPAA they don't want to come forward and stuff like that but a lot of the boys as long as they can provide as long as you've been in the business at least three years 
and that you can show actual hardship and prove it, Cauliflower Alley will help up and step up and help you with that hardship financially. It's our way of trying to give back for all the years that you gave us in the business. Cauliflower Alley, we do four newsletters a year from our newsletter of the year. And then once a year, we have a big award ceremony, a banquet out in Las Vegas. Next year, it's in the Gold Coast Casino from April 27th to the 29th. And we've announced a few awards so far, so far for it. We have a Luchador Award that we created a couple of years ago for Blue Demon Jr. But we're going to do the second Luchador Award um, to Rey Mysterio Jr. at next year. And we're also doing the Iron Mike Mazurki Award winner to Medusa Michelli as well next year. And then we're still lining up a whole bunch more names. We got a Rising Stars Award we're giving to Madison Miles, Canadian girl that is, I believe she's out in England right now. Art Williams will be getting the Referee Award, and we got a few other ones that we're giving out. But the organization, I'm so, this is something I'm really happy to be a part of because it really does give back to the business and the guys and the ladies that, you know, gave to us as fans and, you know, are down on their times and need a little help. So that's something I'm just really happy to be a part of. And you were also a part of getting money to Takayama a couple years ago when he was injured, right? Can you tell us a little Uh, about that? That's right. I completely forgot about that. Okay. So there was a original drive that Eric Chominski did. He ran the Real Hero Archive for a bit where he bunch of Japanese, he puts up a bunch of Japanese videos because he had a way to take them on TV currently. So what he did was he ran an account, like a PayPal account, where he raised money and it ended up being about $7,000. And he's friends with Kevin Kelly and he told Kevin Kelly what was going on and Kevin Kelly had him meet with Minoru Suzuki backstage before New Year's Dash began and Minoru Suzuki is still close friends with Takayama to this date and a lot of little shows in Japan end up doing these little donation things like the Takayama Fund and stuff. Well, he ended up handing over uh, the equivalent of $7,800 to Suzuki. Well, we tried to repeat that. We knew that Suzuki was going to be here in the States. And one of my best friends in real life is Harry Smith, D.B. Boy Smith Jr., who at the time was actually in Suzuki-Goon with with Suzuki. So I told uh, Harry what was going on, and Harry's like, well, we can just give it to him at the hotel. So we ran an event at a bar in Long Beach and ended up raising, I want to say around $1,000, and we ended up giving it directly to Minoru Suzuki at uh, at the hotel that night, and he ended up uh, doing it for for Takayama's medical funds uh, when he got back to Japan. Wow, that's an amazing story. I definitely wanted to share that with everyone. Dave, what did you think about that? Yeah, that is awesome that you guys did that, and I was kind of thinking too, like, uh, I don't know why when we were talking to Roy about guys that are... Uh, should be top stars and uh you know the modern day top promotions right now and you mentioned being friends with harry smith and i'm thinking there's a guy who's got the look who's just legitimate and everything and i'm like man why is harry not that guy right now in aew or wwe i know he's under contract with mlw but i feel like he's somebody should be making some big money no i i fully agree um i i don't get what the what the deal is either i i i don't i mean he has no ego issues 
he's really trying to reinvent himself with doing the hybrid, you know, the, the MMA style along with the pro wrestling style. You know, he can be the cutest baby face in the world with the biggest smile or he could be the meanest growliest you know come out and kick your ass type possible i i don't get why he's not a bigger star right now but hopefully hopefully he'll get that you know I, i'm not saying mlw is like low lower the lower the chain because he is pretty happy where he's out right now but i'm just surprised he's not even higher on that totem pole right now yeah, I agree. I love MLW too. I just, I, right, like, you know, this is a guy who should be, like, I feel like in one of the top promotions making big money. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully we'll get to see him, you know, on the big stage again, uh, other than, you know, his uncle getting attacked at the Hall of Fame. Right, right, right. Yeah, that was something. He laid in some shots there. Though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. That was great. <laughs> that was awesome. You spoke earlier about the Cauliflower Alley Club. Is it hard to do that upload videos and balance a day job for you at all? Oh, yeah. So, you know, wake up, go to work, take care of what I need to do, come home, you know, get my dinner ready, flip open the laptop and... Wait, 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 what? <laughs> no, I don't wake up and download and go to work. <laughs> uh, no, I... <laughs> a, a couple years or a year or so ago, Bob Barnett, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with him. I've heard of him through the 605. Yeah, he's a wrestling lawyer that ended up, because he lived in the L.A. area, same area as I, he used to drive down for all the Tijuana shows in the late 90s, early 2000s. Well, he ended up just like a year or so ago saying, I'm done with wrestling. And he called me up and he asked me if I wanted his collection. I'm like, well, yeah, because he saw all the uploading that I was doing. So not only did he give me all the handhelds of all the stuff that he went to, he also taped CMLL and AAA every week on the TV that it was on. So what I've been doing is going through his collection disc by disc, cutting out the matches and uploading them all onto YouTube one by one. So that's been the big project that I've been working on lately is just all these CMLL matches it's around 1999 and right now i'm going into late 2001 and this is stuff with like you know los guapos and los infernales and uh santo's still there negro casas i mean this stuff is just amazing to watch i've been having a blast like uploading these and watching these and that's pretty wild now roy as you know i talked to you about this last night but i want to get it on the show i'm a big fan of your podcast japanese wrestling classics with roy lucia and i kind of wanted to know what's the state of the podcast where is it at right now it's on hiatus i did like seven or eight episodes of it i did believe it was eight my last one being with jungle jim Steele. It's the only interview he ever gave, too, by the way. And for the next one, I contacted Tom McGee, and I tried to get Tom McGee on. We ended up, like, not getting a hold of each other again, and at that point, it was just like, I just we just couldn't make it happen. So I just was so mentally set on Tom McGee, I just decided to take a hiatus. 
Now, when I when I went out to Vegas for StarCast and I met Todd McGee, he fully remembered me. We talked for a while. He did tell me to get a hold of him, that we would do the episode. Uh, that was in May. It is currently November, and we still haven't had a chance to converse with each other. So once I get a hold of Tom McGee and I'm able to do that episode, because the funny thing is I actually have all the questions ready to go. And of all people, Chris Hero helped me with the questions because he was like wanting to, you know, hear this interview as uh-huh. well. So he he helped me to help shape up the uh, questions and all that. So yeah, well, once I finally get a hold of McGee and we ended up like going, you know, forward, then definitely the podcast will come back. I'm sure there's a few other people I can interview and stuff like that. But it was like I was just so mentally set on Tom McGee that. I really, you know, didn't want to interview anyone else. And I did hit a lot of the gaijins, the top ones that I wanted to interview people that hadn't been interviewed before. I mean, everyone and their mother up on the top level has interviewed Hanson, Fung, all the big, like, big gaijin names people have already interviewed them i wanted to hear the stories from the guys like kurt Beyer and joel deaton and richard slinger like richard slinger after the interview was over thanks me for the interview and i said oh, no problem why and he saw like the other two interviews that i've given it was an hour and a half of talking of stories about terry gordy you know, his uncle instead of his stories. So I just wanted to present, you know, the, the, the lower guys and, and to get their voice out. My, the one I did with Kurt Byler was three hours long, mm-hmm. you know, and it wasn't even, you know, obviously I've talked a little about his dad growing up, but it was about his, his career. Yeah, that, that, that's something I'm actually very proud of, you know, that, that I, I was able to do. Roy, just a quick sidebar here. You said Jim Steele. Is that Jungle Jim Steele from the WCW days? Did some enhancement work for him, I believe? That's him. Okay, that's I just want to make sure. <laughs> that actually is what led us to get... That's with 9 That's him. Oh, no shit. <laughs> that kind of idea led us to get Bob Cook not too long ago because since we're not established, we wanted to get guys we could get, and we found that guys that might have been enhancement or underneath guys tell a lot better stories. They're a lot more forthcoming with things. Absolutely. No, back in 94, 95, 96, I was sometimes hosting, sometimes co-hosting a show called Squared Circle Radio out in Sun Valley with a guy named James Boone, the Shadow Man. And we had a third co-host who was Bob Cook. And... Bob is just amazing with the stories that he has. And Bob Cook's like, you, you'd see him all over the place on TV because, you know, he was enhancement on Raw, enhancement on WCW and stuff like that. And then I remember watching this shoot interview with, with Dustin Rhodes and, he, and someone asked him, like, who, who's, who's threw the best punch that you've ever been a part of? And immediately with no hesitation, he's like, oh, Bob Cook. Bob Cook has the best left hand in the business, and if you're trying to get into the business, you need to watch Bob Cook matches in order to learn how to throw a punch. You know, I mean, it's it's like Lawler Dundee level punching there. It's insane how good his punches and stuff. So, yeah, kudos on Bob Cook, and you know, he grew up around the Malenko school, so you know, he's got the Waltman, the Bobby Blaze, the Carl Gotch stories. I mean, he's got some great stories to tell. Excellent, thank you. Is there anything you want to promote on the way out? Check out my website, Roy's Wrestling Vault. Dot com. On there, I have all my different YouTube 
channels. I have my newest uploads onto YouTube that I put up there. I also share some pictures throughout my life from wrestling shows I've been to. I also do a little historical thing from the SoCal Lucha scene in the 90s where I have gone through the top Mexican newspaper, La Pinon, and I shared stories from each and every Lucha show that took place from 92, 93, and 94. So yeah, just check out my website, Roy's Wrestling Vault. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much and apologize to Michelle for us keeping you so long. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good Have one, a good Roy. Day, you too. Welcome back for another week of the 531, where a bunch of us take our top five list, put it together, debate it down to a top three list, and from there we get to a top one. Now, this week's topic is from Jesse in New Hampshire, and he threw out the top five never were NWA champions. Now, I'm going to kick this off because I got number one on my list, Jerry Lawler, number two, Roddy Piper, three, Arn Anderson, four, Hulk Hogan, and Greg Valentine is my number five. Adam, who's on your uh, top five list? Uh, this was easy for me. This is something I've thought about night and day for 43 years. <laughs> <laughs> to me, Rowdy Piper's got to be in your top five. If he's not, then shame on you. Another big one who uh, doesn't get heard of quite as much these days, maybe because some people think he was racist and a Klan member, but Dick Murdoch was mm. actually a hell of a worker mm. and an incredible wrestler, even if he wasn't a good human being. And uh, he really should have had a run with the w well, not WWE, with the NWA title because, quite frankly, he could work a great match with anybody. Another one that I absolutely love, we're going to stick with the Dicks here to make Dave happy. Mm. We're going to go with Dick Slater. Yeah. Dick Slater, believe it or not, when he was a younger wrestler, was absolutely tremendous. And the heat they garnered when he was in Florida, Georgia, the Mid-South, uh, mid he garnered heat. And at one point in his career, believe it or not, later on they would call him Dirty Dick, <laughs> which now I think is Tony Schiavone. Yeah. But early on in his career, they called him Mr. Excitement because you never knew exactly what he was going to actually do and how it was going to go a little bit crazy. The fact that Tommy Rich had a world title and that this gentleman did not, to me, is an absolute shit fest. <laughs> the other ones that we're going to talk about is, I actually agree with Joe, to me, Greg Valentine, with his work rate, would have been a tremendous world heavyweight champion. He did not have a great personality, but to me, he was Chris Benoit before Chris Benoit. He could have a great wrestling match. It was hard-hitting. When he chopped somebody or when he dropped that forearm on somebody, there's a reason why they called him the hammer. I thought you were going to say he killed his family, but okay. <laughs> no, no, no. His dad did enough of that himself. Shame on you, Johnny Valentine. Uh, another one who I think doesn't get mentioned these days, which is sad. And I know that's easy because most people when they hear NWA champion that wasn't crowned are going to automatically go Magnum TA. But to me, I went Bruiser Brody. I think Bruiser Brody as a heel NWA heavyweight champion would have been absolutely incredible. I think that he would have been that monster that he, that faces could have went after and really could have attacked and they would have always been the underdogs. So Dave, what do you got for us? All right, I got a pretty decent list, I think, here. First off, I want to state that the one thing we said before we did this was we wanted wrestlers who competed in the NWA, given the time period. So that's why if anyone reads this, yeah, The Rock didn't make the list. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin was in WCW. That didn't, guy didn't make the list. Given the time period, and some of the NWA time is a little 
sketchy because obviously we know about the pride of the National Wrestling Alliance days, but then it would get broken up in different pieces here and there. So here, hear me out. So uh, number five on my list, Kevin Von Erich. Kerry Von Erich got a run with it after his brother had passed away and they put the belt on the Von Erichs for a little bit at the Parade of Champions. Kerry had the look, but at the end of the day, for me, bell to bell, Kevin was the best performer in the ring. Not that Kerry couldn't go, but nobody was touching Kevin as far as I'm concerned. Number four, the only reason why this guy probably wasn't NWA World Champion because he was in a group with Ric Flair. And I'm not picking Iron Anderson, who's well qualified. I'm talking about Tully Blanchard. Oh, I know who you're going Yeah, with. Tully Blanchard <laughs> was a mega heat getter and honestly could have led the horseman just as easily if there wasn't a Nature Boy Ric Flair. So Tully Blanchard's my number four. My number three guy was the guy who was at WrestleMania one main event. And I'm not talking about Roddy Piper. I'm talking about Mr. Wonderful Paul Horndorf. Here's a guy that went into main events with Hulk Hogan. He was as tough as they come. And he's a guy, I think, with his persona, could have been a great NWA champion. As I said earlier, sometimes the NWA history was a little sketchy. For instance, there was a time when we discussed this before we went on to record this. Barry Windham was considered the NWA heavyweight champion. I believe he won it in a vacated tournament match against the great Muda, and he was going to be the NWA champion while in WCW. So WCW had their heavyweight champion and the NWA heavyweight champion. Now, eventually Barry lost his belt to Flair, and Flair was about to have a match with Rick Rude, but Rick Rude and Flair never competed for the NWA title because the actual board of the NWA sued WCW over the name and there was an issue with it. So they had to change the na name to the international belt. So Rick Rude won the international title with the help of Fifi the maid, Flair's future wife, and he never actually was NWA champion. So number two on my list is Ravishing Rick Rude, who was probably hours away of being the NWA heavyweight champion. And it's severely, Rude's run in WWE is awesome, but his run in WCW, it's unfortunate that it wasn't at a time period when WCW was winning in the race because Rude was an outstanding heel. But my number one, he was on both your list. I just want to get this out real quick. I know you agree with me on Rude because I know you're a Rude mark. <laughs> you probably thinking you should have put Rude, but that's all right. Rowdy Rowdy Piper is my number one because to me, Piper is the ultimate heel, basically the number one heel of all time. And when you look at his resume, it's almost crazy he didn't have the NWA belt. But anyway, that's my list. All right, and Jesse even sent us in his list, too. Nice. So Jesse's list included Jerry Lawler, Chris Adams, Magnum TA, Arn Anderson, and David Von Erich. Huh. Now, moving on, Piper, he was pretty much across the board. He was on three of our lists, so he automatically moves on. And the other ones, it's going to be a little tough to pick. So I'm going to put a couple names together, and we're going to... Pick versus some face-off. I like the listener's list. It's a great list. David and Magnum, to me, are very hard to move on. This is just my opinion. The reason why they're hard to move on for me is because they weren't stopped short because they never got in their career. They were stopped short by tragedy. Because uh, both of them, I think, would have held the belt if they had been given the opportunity to or if they didn't overdose and die in a car accident or not. Alright, well I mean you made the first face off pretty easy because I was gonna put Jerry Lawler versus David Von Erich. 
I think Lawler's a big name because he did hold the AWA title, but he never made that move over to the NWA title. So I'm going to have him move on. You got Piper Lawler. Who else amongst the list stands out? I had a Brody versus Greg Valentine face-off. Uh, for me, you know what, Adam? When I look at your list, the one guy I was a little upset I didn't put in there besides Magnum, which we kind of talked Magnum because of his career, was Brody. And the one guy I feel really strongly about my list is Rick Rude. I was going to say, on Dave's list, I had a similar thing with Tully. Tully. Tully, to me, was Shawn Michaels before Shawn Michaels was Shawn Michaels. Okay. I think he was that good of a heel. Rick Rude is upsetting to me, but to me, he's that guy who you can put on the list of to just never hold a world title. I mean, other than winning the world class title, which was pretty much irrelevant by the time he won it, he was never given that world title strap. So let me ask you this before we move on uh, one matchup. As I see Joe's looking at Rude versus Brody. I'm reading that right. Yeah, Rude yep. versus Brody. I would just like your opinion, just a little debate here, because we talked about Lawler, and Lawler, I, I agree, is the man, but what about Lawler and Blanchard? Who would you pick in that one? I would pick Blanchard, and I'm going to tell you what. Very simple. Jerry Lawler made the decision when he had his own company to stay primarily in his own company so that he could, for years and years, be able to put himself over and put title and title on himself. Mm. And he made the decision not to go and spend long extended periods of time in other organizations. Even when he won the AWA title, it's because they were merging and trying to work together with the USWA. I'm gonna Nothing Jerry Lawler ever did was outside of his comfort zone. I'm going to say I agree a little bit. Uh, even though I think Lawler's an amazing heel and one of the best of all time, he kind of chose to be a big fish in a small pond. I, I would better see Tully move exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Tully did the opposite. Tully actually left his father's promotion because he wanted to go and wrestle in places where he would be challenged and where he wouldn't be that big fish in the small pond. But what about Rude versus Brody? That That's a tough one for me. <sighs> okay, so here's why I would go with Rude. The reason why I would go with Rude is because Brody, similar to what happened with Von Erich and with Magnum, unfortunately was killed short. So we don't really know where his career would have gone. There is talk that he was supposed, slated to go to WWE and face Hogan. There's all kinds of talk. But he's another one who, what caused him problems was himself. He actually never wanted to sign on the dotted line. He was that original free agent who literally would never sign on necessarily with the NWA or WWE or he wanted to be able to go to Japan, be able to go to Puerto Rico. He, he never wanted to be in that one place. And that's what I think cost him the title. Hmm. Good point. I mean, so I, would, I, I would go rude. All right. I'll take Lawler off the list. So we're looking at Piper, Tully and rude for our top three from that top three. Who, who's the first to go out? Oh God. Tully, Rude, and Piper. That's a tough one. Oh, this one, this, this one's not going to make me popular. Out of those three, the worst work rate, and the one who I think would have been, even though he's got the best mic skills of all time, Piper's work rate in the ring is nowhere near the level of the other two wrestlers. And one of the things about being an NWA champion, and this is what we're forgetting, when you look down the list of NWA champions, and you look at your Jack Briscoes, you look at your Ric Flairs, you look at your Harley Races, you look at your Dory Funk, Terry Funk. The reason why they were all NWA champions is because they could go into any town on any night and wrestle anybody for 60 minutes. And I'm not saying Piper couldn't wrestle some people for 60 minutes, but Piper could not just have a great match with everybody. Whereas Tully and Rick Rude, you 
put them anywhere at any time, can you remember bad matches? I mean, Rick Rude made the Ultimate Warrior look good. Yeah, it's interesting because to me, Piper was the best heel of this group, and that's saying something. I want to say that clear because that is not me shortchanging the other two as heels. The work rate, though, man, I'm going to kind of agree a little bit because work rate was what the NWA prided itself on, right? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be work rate because... Well, it's a combination to me. Yeah. Because look at Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes was a great performer, maybe the greatest baby face of all time. But how much actual time does he have as an NWA champion? You can fit his three reigns in two months. Okay. I have no problem making this down to Rude uh, Rude and Tully. Rude and Tully? Yeah. All right, we'll take Piper off the list. I personally would have moved Tully out first, but... I I do want to be clear. I'm not moving Piper out because I don't think he's the biggest star of the three. Oh, no. If if there's a contest between the three of them as to who's the biggest star... That's right, Piper. If you ask me because all... Because all three of them competed in the WWE. If you asked me who would have been the one who deserved the WWE title the most, I would have told you Rowdy Piper. But based on what we consider the NWA to be and the merits of the NWA, the other two fit that a little more, I would say, yeah. Exactly. All right, so now we're down to Tully and Rude. Who do you pick between the two? I'm going to start off here. This is razor thin. But at the end of the day, for as far as I'm concerned, there is not a more complete wrestler than Ravishing Rick Rude. Tully is amazing at what he can do bell to bell. But Rude can do all that stuff too. And he has a power game. And he's got a different look that nobody ever had in his business. There's not anybody with the lean bodybuilder type physique that Rude had and can go as well as he did in his prime. That's my opinion. Rude's got the best physique of all time. I've never seen anything like it. That's why it was uh, hilarious in the WWE when they would have him versus the Ultimate Warrior in a pose down. Because you could tell that Vince just loved the guys that were huge instead of paying attention to the fact that freaking Rick Rude was just muscle on top of muscle with about zero percent body fat so who are you picking uh, oh god uh between these two i think that tully's a better all-around heel he just had that well, i walk into a room you want to punch him in the face but rude to me like yourself is the total package i'm sad to be honest with you that rude never got the chance to go face there was talk about him actually going up against Vader yes. um, when he got injured with Sting and turning face. He actually attacked Vader with a chair. Have, yeah. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen a baby face Rick Rude. Uh, can you imagine how great that would have been? been I, to me, I give it to Rude, and I think that one of the saddest things in my lifetime, other than maybe Mr. Perfect, is the fact that Rick Rude never got a real world title. Hmm. All right. Wow, so yeah, Rude's going to win this week. And I want to thank Jesse from New Hampshire for this subject and this list. And we'll have to have him on in a future episode because he is a father. And I kind of wanted to talk with him about if your son's into wrestling, how do you, you know, will you let him get into it? What kind of restrictions do you have? So we're looking at Jesse as a hopeful future guest. But thank you for joining us this week and we'll see you guys later. See ya. I think that went well. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast. Spotify, 
Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 